0: The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
1: This podcast contains explicit language.
2: So that happened. This week, the 2016 race was roiled by the announcement that former GOP nominee and 2012 loser Mitt Romney was, against all logic, getting his band back together to mount yet another run for the White House. This has baffled everyone, including the Huffington Post's Amanda Turkle, who joins us to form a chorus of confused noises. Elsewhere, the past few weeks has seen the age-old battle between Wall Street and Main Street re-enjoined, with the American taxpayers facing the prospect of the Volcker Rule getting delayed. But the spines of the Democratic minority have suddenly stiffened. We'll talk about why. And finally, President Barack Obama is pitching a plan to reform paid family leave for federal workers. We'll discuss the implication of this plan and its potential to spur similar reforms elsewhere. I'm Jason Lincolns, joined as always by Arthur Delaney and Zach Carter. You know, this year's Oscars are so white that a lot of people are going to confuse it for the Davos Economic Forum. But here's what happened first. Hey, welcome. Uh, We're back uh, for another week of So That Happened. Uh, Joining me, as always, uh, we
1: have... Zach Carter, Senior Political Economy Reporter for the Huffington Post.
2: And we have... Arthur Delaney. That's good. I'm Jason Lincolns.
1: Uh, How's your week been? My week's been really, really hectic. I've been stunned at how... uh, Maybe it's just because... You know, when Congress is out, it was the holidays and there wasn't a whole lot of, of stuff going on. And, and I'm just the fact that I have to work now is is making me making a normal workload feel impossible. But I have felt like that things have been really going crazy. This you're getting
2: week. the pit sweats again. The,
1: yeah. 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 I'm, I'm getting the scoop sweats. You know, have to eat like a lot of processed meats, you get that weird meat. sweat. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I'm getting the sweats from from, you know, just covering covering Congress.
2: Arthur, you're still you're still uh, you're still deeply, deeply, deeply upset at the accolades that the movie Boyhood is Boy, <laughs> Boyhood is piling up. Boyhood still great film, but Boyhood it's, apparently it's, the accolades
0: were predictable. What's been frustrating is just the constant gushing by losers who think Boyhood is such a good movie, which it's not. Boyhood um, is
1: a great movie.
2: I've not seen it. You're a warhorse, man. <laughs> so war horse I know <laughs> the war horse horse give me
3: back my war horse
2: no so I know you're a big war horse man I saw Birdman. that was that was good Right? Doesn't it, is it a movie
0: called Birdman, or does Middle it actually class. have some really pretentious title with parentheses? It has in? a
2: real it Yeah, it's Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Man, trash bin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to see a movie
0: with parentheses <laughs> in the title,
1: Arthur. What you, is this?
0: The you know an art
1: house uh, for people. It <clears> is for people who are uh, who are not aware. <laughs> Arthur's favorite movie is Jurassic Park Three.
2: Rough um. week for uh, John Boehner. He was. Well, not, I guess rough week for the crazy.
1: Every week is a rough week for John Boehner because he has to deal with all of the clown bags in Republican Congress. <laughs> yeah, John Boehner would have it easy.
2: <laughs> now he has to deal with a clown bag bartender, and that's like his people. Okay. Yeah,
1: this. Bartenders is Boehner's people. This con- yeah.
2: fired
0: country club bartender in Ohio had a plot to kill Boehner, but really, it's like. It's just a crazy guy.
2: It's like something out of a, 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 a Coen Brothers movie. Once again, I'm sure you hate Arthur. No, I like Colin Brothers okay.
1: films. <laughs> Hudsucker Proxy. Yeah,
2: I can't believe this. I can't believe that happened. Obviously, we're against poisoning John Boehner.
1: Yeah, don't poison people. It, I,
0: and this is uh, this is why they have their own police force, and why high-ranking members like John Boehner have even you know additional security detail because public officials like that face near constant threats from lunatics. And this happens, I think, more than people realize, but it's uh, it was a crazy guy. It's not like ISIS or something had an actual like actionable plot to kill him.
2: (laughs) Right. It was some country club bartender. Still a a guy, a guy who
0: thought he was Jesus. You know, he was nuts. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, and it was over like Ebola or something. It was. It was not. Yeah, he clear. accused. He it.
0: got the politics wrong and blamed John Boehner instead of Barack Obama for <laughs> Ebola. <laughs> you got that wrong. It was Sorry. Bar- It was Obama's fault.
1: Sorry, crazy guy. For the, for the Ebola outbreak that did not happen in the United States. Go back to the nut house, crazy man. Yeah, okay, mental health advocates are going to love us for that.
2: Okay, joining us now is Amanda Turkle. Amanda, what's your title?
3: Uh, I guess just politics reporter. Just politics <laughs> reporter. <laughs> That's fine. Okay,
2: so I'm here. We're, we're now joined with just politics reporter Amanda Turkle, and we're going to talk about probably one of this year's already, like, the biggest pressing conundrums in politics, which is what is going on with Mitt Romney, right? What? What are we going to do with Mitt Romney? What, how do you solve a problem like Mitt Romney? For <laughs> those of you who don't know, Mitt Romney uh, is a guy who ran for president a couple of times and lost in 2012. Now I'm, I'm really treating you people like you don't know anything. But, um, but, but uh, he was well and considered like out of politics you know, until last week, last Friday, where he suddenly decided, hey, I'm back in this. I'm talking to my, my people, my big donors my elite supporters and we're going to make a run. What the fuck?
3: Well, I think that there, I mean, there are two theories. There's the one that is a lot more crass and that's just that Mitt Romney needs to feel relevant. He needs to be in the conversation. So he might not really run, but at least now people are talking to him and paying attention to him again. So that's one. I don't know if I actually believe that. What I actually think is happening is Mitt Romney believes the country needs him, that this is his calling. This is his destiny he is, you know, the White House has his name written all over it, and that just he believes that he can actually make a difference in the country, whether or not the country wants him. And I think he believes that deep down, people do want him.
0: So the the there's there's cynical interpretation of both of those. I mean, those are both basically <laughs> Mitt Romney feeling like he is important
2: and he is I, the answer. I kind of feel your second explanation to be the more crass one. Yeah, because because. The rationale for Romney in 2012 was that we are, we are in the midst of a bad economy, and he felt that he had the economic nous to get us out of that and also the technocratic skill to run the government on top of that. Now, in the ensuing months after the election, there, was, there, were, there were things that maybe would have proven the second part true. It's most notably the bungled rollout of the, uh, the healthcare.gov website. But what we have now is a situation where the economy is improving. It's actually improving beyond the parameters and conditions that he promised in his campaign, mm-hmm. and the website's working fine. Um, and and maybe there's some foreign policy things where he has like a legit beef with. But in a if is if it, if America needed him when the economy is bad, why do we need him when the economy is good?
3: I be- Mitt Romney believes that America is still not on the right direction. Basically, basically that is how I'm sort of trying to get into Mitt Romney's mind. And he's been surrounded his whole life by people tell him he's destined for greatness, that he is the smartest man in the room. And he has absorbed a lot of that. Uh, he obviously had a very famous prominent father who was widely respected. And I think a lot of that sort of rubbed off on Mitt Romney and how he thinks about himself and his family. And I believe that Mitt Romney actually does want to help the country. He actually values public service, but uh, you know, I don't I don't go around the country and hear people cl- saying what we need now is Mitt Romney.
0: <laughs> so uh, what precipitated the Romney boomlet that we are now living in was Jeb Bush. Right. Calling donors uh, and and announcing, you know, I am really going to consider doing this. Right. Not actually that I am doing it. But, you know, at this stage, the customers to say, I will consider running. For yeah. President. And,
2: the, and the, at the point at the point that Bush got to before Romney started messing about. Was that I wasn't yet to the point where I really believed Jeb was serious either, and and it seems to me like now suddenly there's just so much creatine in the water. Everyone's going nuts. Like Rand Paul's making like statements criticizing people. Jeb uh, Chris Christie's made uh, orations now that that sort of put him in that presidential milieu. It seems to me like now we've catalyzed this weird chemical reaction in 2016. Everyone's nuts again.
0: But um, Amanda, why would the Jeb Bush uh, toe dipping be what makes Romney jump in. Yeah. What because I agree. Th- That's weird. They are both, you know, dynastic. They're both rich. Yeah. They're both former governors and they're both relatively moderate. So why would Romney see Jeb Bush and be like, well, you know what? We need two of those. In this race.
3: And maybe he was jealous for the attention, but right, they are competing for the same donors, the same advisors, and and sort of the same slice of the electorate. I think Romney may have more of a problem in that he really, I don't really know what he represents other than corporations and Wall Street, but other than being sort of the anti-Obama, whereas Jeb Bush... Does have his own distinct identity, whether it's on immigration, he has stood by a Common Core. He is presenting his own brand of Republicanism. Whereas I don't really, I mean, Mitt Romney changes so often, I have really no idea what he'll do or he'll be.
2: You just identified probably the two things about Jeb Bush that would likely like go over like a lead balloon, right? Doom HGOP him in the base. primary. And but but it's it's weird because my read, and maybe I'm completely wrong on this, but my read coming out of the election was that the hardcore conservative voters that we call the GOP's base kind of grudgingly accepted that Mitt Romney was going to be their nominee in twelve. The same way they grudgingly accepted that John McCain was going to be their nominee in oh eight. And I don't think that the base ever really saw either of those two guys as like being of them. And and I I it it seems to me that that there was a clamoring for someone way more conservative, way more rock ribbed uh, to be the nominee in 16 from from the GOP base. And it's so for that reason alone, it's weird that Jeb Bush was just like, I got this. But now that now that Romney is like, well, <laughs> I got this, too. It's just like. Don't you guys feel like you're the last two people that right now the GOP primary voters want to vote for?
3: And there's a good chance that if this field had been stronger uh, the last time around, Romney would not have gotten the nomination. Oh, I think yeah, this definitely. This time, their field, mm. they do seem to have more options, at least initially. You know, there's there's Rand Paul, who is desirable to a lot of people, who knows what Ted Cruz is going to do. So there's a good chance they won't even get through the primary. I'm not surprised that Jeb Bush jumped in. I do think there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who are, are a little frustrated with the direction it's going and see him as a viable alternative. But, I mean, I thought Romney was very smart when he said, no way, I'm just going to return to my rich life, be happy with my nice family, yeah. and just live a really great life. But I guess, I don't and, know. And this whole
0: time, <laughs> he has been doing that. Uh, if you go on Twitter, you can see and just you know search Mitt Romney airport <laughs> people have been seeing him at the airport like every week and taking pictures with him
2: and he's been there's... eating sandwiches and trying he... new sandwiches yeah, he, doesn't, he doesn't look <laughs> unhappy
0: of course not so it's surprising that this is happening I think what Jeb and Romney both bring to the table here advantages they both have over many uh, more conservative contenders uh, well it's really one thing money right they are uh, both rich neither of them do anything Uh, You know, they're not currently in the Senate, like uh, Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, for example. And they're close to the people who will dump money into the campaigns. So what but but that I mean, that's that really I I don't see how that gets them over the bar. And and that's why I think because that's the only thing that they really have going for them. The Jeb Bush Romney moment we're in right now won't last for a long
2: time. Maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly, but but wasn't there a time When Mitt Romney actually sort of like critiqued the potential of a Jeb Bush campaign along the lines of, well, he's going to have some of the same problems I did because, you know, he's associated with Wall Street too. And so then Romney's solution to that is like, well, I'll get in. It's like really weird. It's like, so now we have two people with your problems, including you. The guy with the problem. It
3: makes no sense at all. I was just as shocked as everyone else when Mitt <laughs> Romney said he was jumping in. We're trying to figure it out. But honestly, I have no—I don't understand why he's doing this. It doesn't make sense. Is if I would i would assume that Mitt Romney would rather have Jeb Bush as the nominee than, say, Ted Cruz or yeah. Rand Paul. And so, so what is he doing? It, you know, maybe they won't split the vote. Maybe they will. But it does not seem to be—he is not helping Jeb Bush by this.
0: So the economy is no longer— Uh, locked in a crate on the roof of America's car and (laughs) drizzling (laughs) diarrhea down the back windshield.
2: Thanks for working. We no
0: longer need Mitt Romney to pull America over (laughs) and hose down the economy (laughs) so that we can resume driving to Canada. Thank you for working Seamus into the discussion. But here's one thing that is very different uh, about Mitt Romney, something that he has to offer that he didn't in 2012, and that is... I believe he has been paying taxes this whole time. Oh, that's right. Since 2012, he has filed tax returns. He probably donated hefty sums to charity, and he hates to brag about that kind of thing, but you know when the tax returns come out, that will be reflected. So We won't have to brag about his charitable side uh, so I, w- I wonder if that's one thing. And this is ridiculous. No one's going to. Th- and didn't <laughs> Jeb
3: Bush already say he will release his tax returns? Tons
2: of tax returns. So many tax
0: returns. And he's doing he's been doing an, a, you know, an absurd number of financial transactions. So that another uh, dreadful similarity between Jeb and, and Mitt. Uh, what, a, what a strange Republican primary? And the other thing right?
3: is health care is not the main issue anymore. And no. that was something that Romney really had going for him. I'm the guy who can fi- fix health care and that's gone. That's not the main issue. We've
0: got uh, we've got terror in a bigger way now than we did. And we we had a a Romney associate saying if President Romney had been in charge. There would be no ISIS right now. How strong, Amanda, is the uh, the terror argument that I'm Mitt Romney and I'm going to, you know, stop the terrorists?
3: I mean, it's very you know, if I were president, we would have world peace. See, it's really easy to say. Uh, if, if I were president, but, everyone would
2: have two puppies. I mean, this is why
3: Obama won. Oh, we the, the country trusted him that this was a new course in foreign policy. America wasn't going to be hated around the world. He wasn't going to get us into wars. But the world is a messy place. The president of the United States can't control everything, and maybe he shouldn't. And foreign policy has at times been pretty tough for Obama. So, yeah, it's great for Romney to say that that's nice but we we'll, we would see what happened i mean first of all isis was not created by obama the seeds were planted you know back when we invaded iraq so it's it's not all obama's fault and i don't think it would the world would be this big happy place if romney were president
0: but it sounds like you now the the argument here is that you know romney wouldn't have retreated cut and run from iraq so quickly so i you know things wouldn't have festered in that region to the point where perhaps he
2: would have engaged more with the Iraqi government than Obama. Did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of arguments. There's a whole, so many ways you can arm quarterback foreign policy. Uh, and, 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 and <laughs> I, I think that, it, I think that it kind of leads you down a lot of blind paths. Uh, but at the same time, foreign policy, I don't think was that like key an issue in 12. No. Yeah. It may be in 16. Uh, only, but if it is, it's because the economy has rafted itself back to a safer place. So it, it's, you know, I guess now is the time for Romney to step out and, like, maybe prove what he's been talking about all along. But it's going to be mid conditions. And that- that's
3: where Republicans will have a really interesting discussion if Rand Paul oh, runs yeah. versus some of these more cons- Rand Paul versus John Bolton. Let's watch those debates. That'll be <sighs> fun. But the Republican Party will have a really, really fun time with, trying to figure out where it's going on foreign policy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I think that for the moment, we just embrace the confusion. That is (laughs) Mitt Romney making a very puzzling decision to run for president again. Okay. Well, Amanda, thanks for joining us to talk about this uh, predicament we're in.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: So uh, I guess... uh, while we're on the subject of country clubs, uh, how's the country club set doing,
1: uh, Zach Carter? Well, uh, according to to Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of the nation's largest bank, uh, Morgan Chase, is he
2: the one doing God's work, or is that th- It's Lloyd the Blankfein, other who's CEO of not. Goldman no, Sachs, heck. which okay.
1: you know has gold in the name, so it's you know, D- Dimon is the one
2: with the gorgeous head of hair
1: yeah diamonds diamonds the attractive one uh the one who was once rumored to be i, I thought it was a little bit of a joke uh potential treasury secretary nominee for uh for barack obama he was once a high flyer in democratic party sort of that is politics good, that is a good joke and he would yeah.
0: be the treasury secretary if it weren't for you crazy
2: kids <laughs> and that dog of yours <laughs> That's right. He would. He would. The second I operate the mystery we figured, machine.
1: We figured out that he was actually just wearing a sheet over his head. He wasn't right. really a ghost. Uh, so, he just wants the mill for himself. Okay. So uh Jamie Diamond is saying that uh, banks are under assault at uh, at uh, JP Morgan's earnings call uh the the other day. And um which is it's in a sense true for JP Morgan because JP Morgan keeps doing things that that appear to violate lots of laws. Uh so they've you know they've been They've been written up. They've had to settle for uh, allegedly rigging energy markets for consumers in uh, in California and I believe Michigan. Uh, You know they've they've had all sorts of problems with mortgages with both the securities they sold to investors, uh, which were much worse than what they said. What were the earnings on this? Blah blah blah. The point is, he said they're under. What were the
0: earnings? I don't even.
1: Who cares? It was like four billion dollars. They made tons of money. Yeah, it was it was like nine hundred million dollars less than the same quarter last year. So. they still they only made like four billion instead of oh, six billion, so, it was, so under assault. or five billion. Uh, so you know I wish they're super under assault. like that. And what's awesome. interesting is that while this is hap- while they're only making billions of dollars and not more billions of dollars, um, JPMorgan Chase is uh, sort of at the center of, uh, of of a bill that the first thing that uh, that House Republicans decided to bring up in the new Congress, uh, one of the first bills at least. Which would uh, delay large portions of the uh, the Volcker Rule, which is a key part of the 2010 uh, you know, Dodd Frank Financial Reform Act, um, focused on on some some risky securities that JPMorgan Chase happens to hold thirty billion dollars of. So uh, while they're being under while they're being assailed, the Congress is also actively trying to just hand them another another favor.
0: Now uh, this was uh, a line of discussion after in the, the end of the last Congress when. Elizabeth Warren and Democrats rebelled against the same thing right, uh, right. Uh, a Volcker a Volcker
1: rule delay well related related but not a not similar quite the same, type of you know.
0: thing the, the same Wall Street reform bill from 2010 right which continues to be implemented
1: and Democrats are making a lot of hay over this this tactic because it, it, the truth is for a lot of 2013 and 2014 um, a lot of House Democrats actually signed up with Republicans to chip away at, at some some very important and some Not so important parts of of Dodd Frank, yeah. Uh, and the Volcker Rule is a pretty important part. The the thing that was packed into the CROMNIBUS was called it has the the really glorious and sexy name of swaps push out. But it basically says that banks can't sell risky derivatives from a, a unit that's insured you, by the taxpayers. rule is that you must push out your swaps.
0: Yep. And the thing in the bill last year was a pushing out of the swaps push out rule. Swaps you could, you could push pull out them back in. It's
2: like a great name for an old timey baseball player. Right. Yeah, Swaps push out takes it yard. <laughs> it looked like good a single, but it, yeah. good old swaps doing it again.
1: Uh, who's yeah. on yeah. first. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so swaps push out, that'll happen. Um, they, they repealed the swap swaps push out as part of the, the cromnibus. And everybody said, well, you know, you can't just slip these things into these big must pass bills. And so there, there really aren't any big must pass bills. This time around, you know, this month, because Congress is just settling in. There are no critical deadlines. The government's not going to shut down. So these the are like about- uh,
0: these are like the usual pot shots that we've become familiar with from it, House Republicans.
1: And, and, and it's like an 11 point bill. And there's a bunch of stuff in there that Democrats would vote for and probably not catch too much flack from financial reformers. Some of the stuff in there, they would definitely catch flack from financial reformers on. But the Volcker rule thing is a big deal.
2: So Democrats held a line on on soft push out.
1: They, they held together. They almost, they almost, brought, down, they almost uh, down. brought down the funding bill entirely. Uh, so they were, there were something like 60 votes for, for Swap's pushout. Um, and I think something that really worried financial reformers was that right after that happened, there was a lot of press about how Wall Street had pushed too far and that Republicans had gone too far and the Democratic leadership didn't know what they were doing and had no idea how, mu- how badly they defended their base and that as a result of Swap's pushout, there weren't going to be any more of these sneak attacks on financial reform. Well, the first thing that happens— when when Republicans come to Congress, it's like here is an eleven point bill, and point eleven is pretty bad attack on financial reform. But
0: wait, Zach, this isn't a must pass legislation. It's not hitching a ride on government funding. Right.
1: Sure, there's a Republican
0: Senate. Uh, could it get through the Republican Senate with uh, with uh, without a Democratic filibuster?
1: Well, that's the thing. I you know none of these bills that that passed in twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen. Could get through the Senate because Harry Reid just didn't put them on the floor. So we don't, act, we haven't actually had any real test of how serious the Democratic resistance would be on the Senate side. On the House side, it's been pretty, been pretty flabby. I mean, uh, the, there there were a lot of House Democrats who changed their votes this time around from from voting on a very similar eleven point package in September, which had gone about fifty fifty on Democrats. This time around, only thirty five Democrats voted for it. So you had you know, over one hundred and fifty Democrats voting against it, and and that was. That was a significant change because if 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 you had had a huge showing of Democrats coming out in support of this, it would have said it was sent a signal to Wall Street lobbyists. One, you didn't overreach in December. Everybody's still down with doing favors for you in Capitol Hill. And two, hey, Senate, it's this is not controversial. Democrats like this on the other side. You are not going to take a whole lot of flack for, for voting for this stuff. And that would have put pressure on Barack Obama to sign this thing into law. As as a bipartisan, uh, a bipartisan bill. So I think as a result of last week's vote, which Democrats actually killed the bill, they actually brought it down because House Republicans had brought it up under under the procedure called suspension of the rules, meaning Democrats couldn't offer any amendments, but they would they would need a two thirds majority vote because they brought it down under those circumstances. The House Republicans then just brought it up again this week uh, and even fewer Democrats voted for it, only twenty nine. Wow. Uh, so you 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 clearly see the Democratic Party sort of organizing around the idea that and I think learning some lessons from 2014 and, and, and the the uh, the, the results of, of that election. That they, they don't want to be identified as as a party of Wall Street at a time when a lot of people in, in the economy aren't doing so well.
0: All right. So does Jamie Dimon have a veto proof majority. majority for this legislation in the <laughs> House and Senate? Or if the White House does what Barack Obama has threatened to do and whips out the veto pen On some of this, you know, not urgent, not must pass, deregulation, would Republicans then be able to kick Obama's butt and
1: override the veto? Seems not. It appears appears no, right? Because the first bill failed. uh, That you you need a two thirds majority in order to that was uh, it. That's
0: an example. That right there with that suspension vote, we saw uh, that they can't get above. This veto line, but
1: also it's worth remembering that Obama didn't threaten to veto the legislation until after Democrats had brought it down. Ding dong. So there, there is a lot of signaling going on between different chambers of of, of Congress and different branches of government among Democrats right now. They're really trying to sort out what they're going to do with all of this Wall Street policy, and I and I think it's significant. There's a reason why Republicans put it back on the floor after they knew they couldn't get the veto-proof majority because they they can't. It becomes very difficult to slip this sort of thing into a must pass piece of legislation later on if it actually had failed before, even, even if it had failed under under the two thirds vote. You know, Democrats could say, hey, no, we defeated that. We defeated that legislation this next time around. If uh, you know, if we get to the debt ceiling or something, Republicans can say, well, this did at least pass. And we'll see how how strong Obama's resolve is on, under that those types of circumstances, or if we, we see a repeat of, of basically the Cromnibus vote. There's also this other guy, Antonio Weiss, who Obama had nominated <laughs> to a treasury, who is not going to have that job now. This is a very interesting Wall Street week. So, Zach.
0: Arthur. There is this line of thinking that in this messaging war, the Wall Street efforts of Republicans and, and acquiescence of Democrats is kind of prodding. The sleeping giant that is Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. So what what do you make of that? Is is she
2: becoming more powerful? Is she the Kraken? Have we unleashed the Kraken?
1: I think there are two different. Uh, Please answer th- the question in terms of Krakens. Yeah. So uh, th- there there are two different Kraken like uh, issues here as relates to Elizabeth Warren. One is the fact that most of this this drama over over the Volcker rule took place in the House. Uh, and Elizabeth Warren really, I don't think, had a tremendous amount of influence over that. But at the same time, there was a fellow named Antonio Weiss, who was an investment banker at Lazard who specialized in corporate tax inversions, which is the the sneaky little trick where you just buy a company that's in another country to change your tax, your address for tax purposes and then lower your American tax bill. Um, he had been he's a big, big Democratic Party donor, gives to all sorts of things.
2: Huge. Also, he he's the publisher of the uh,
1: uh, Paris Review. Yeah.
2: So he's so he's
1: fancy He's intellectual, uh, you know, liberal elite gazillionaire uh, and and he he gives a lot of money to the Democratic Party. But uh, Elizabeth Warren was like, why would we nominate this guy to the number three position at Treasury where he's supposed to it would be under undersecretary for domestic finance. It's the person who's basically in charge of managing the American government's debt. And he doesn't have any experience managing that type of, right. uh, that, that type of operation. And, He's and an investment banker who works on mergers and, and tax deals.
2: Worse, he was going to be paid a retention fee from Lazard, which: yeah, is Wasn't like, it like
1: 20 million dollars? Yes. a lot of money.
2: Yeah. Retention fee is the type of thing you give a guy when you're saying, "Could you please stay at our company?" and they say, "Yeah, okay, for 20 million, I'll stay." They we're going to give him 20 million to go work for the government. Which well, specifically made it pretty difficult to, to discern whether he'd ever not be Lazard's man at Treasury. It was to not work for another bank, which,
0: which includes the government. Right. So yeah. Great. So
2: do you love your country? If you love your country, turn down the 20 mil, bro. It was uh, – <laughs> it, it was, it was, so He's still getting that. Of course.
1: Yeah. And, and, uh, but, but here's what's interesting, though. Elizabeth Warren cried foul on this, and, and Weiss could not get through in, in 2014. And so then Obama renominated him this year. And uh, after a few days, uh, Weiss submitted his his desire to be withdrawn from consideration, which usually means the administration told him to submit that letter. Um, so, so the Obama administration gave up on it and said, you know what? We don't want to have a, a long, drawn-out nomination fight.
2: There uh, having been no real rationale for his nomination in the
1: first place— All right, so long story
0: short, uh, to answer Jason's question, yes,
1: Elizabeth Warren is the crack. But also— there are a lot of other Krakens that are that are rising in other parts of of the Democratic Party in Washington. It's, it's not just Elizabeth Warren's uh, you know, party that there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of other like minded people. It, it's become sort of a, a central tenet uh, of the Democratic Party in Washington. You can't just do favors for Wall Street for fun anymore.
2: Now Arthur, we wanted to talk about uh what's going on in the wide world of a mainstream policy. Paid uh family leave. The White House this week, I was kind of surprised uh a val-
0: Valerie Jarrett took to LinkedIn to make a major policy announcement on LinkedIn. Right. And so that's a thing now. Well, I checked my spam filter so I fortunately caught the email. <laughs> and <laughs> and they, they are going to Make a big push for paid family leave, and it's going to start with a executive action that will give federal workers at least six weeks of parental leave after the birth of a child.
1: So you get six. Is, it, is this just for, um, for for women or does it apply to men as well?
0: It's to both women and men. So here, a little background information. The yeah. United States is the only rich country that doesn't guarantee... Paid maternity leave or paternity leave when you have a kid. For all the talk, because about, we hate moochers. All the talk about family values. Uh, having a kid in the United right. States uh, often means you will suffer economic
1: punishment if right. you want to raise your child. Can we just emphasize though that babies really are totally moochers? They don't. They do not contribute at all. I've seen so, ba- so
2: many babies sucking at the teats of their moms. <laughs> babies are selfish. It's
0: it's uh, it's absolutely a fact. So yeah. Uh, so anyway, the White House. Uh, this is what they're doing in their and their sort of lame duck uh, minority situation with Republicans completely controlling Congress, and that is because this is a broadly popular issue, not just with Democrats. Not red meat to the base. Right. It's something that everyone agrees with because it's logical. Because how are you supposed to raise your children if you lose your job immediately upon yeah, it's, having a child? Having children, it's pretty uh, difficult. The, the existing policy, if you work at a big company, you can get 12 weeks of unpaid leave. That's the Family Medical Leave Act. And that's the law, and they have to let you come back. Right. But, you know, as to how well that works... I, I don't I don't think most people would agree it works all that well. About eleven percent of the private workforce has does have access to some kind of paid family. For instance, we at the Huffington Post have a relatively generous paid family leave policy. Thank you, Ryan
1: and Ariana.
2: Yay. Yeah, yeah, our, our yeah buy hub, buy AOL bosses. stock. Buy AOL stock. <laughs> <laughs> buy AOL stock. One of our bosses, <laughs> Kate Palmer, was uh, just took a couple months off. Oh, with, come on, man, I just child. took a. I took oh, that's a few true. Weeks yeah, off. yeah, yeah. Here, Arthur, forgot yeah, about that. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah, Delaney, welcome to
0: the world. So having and and uh, and this is catching on a little bit, like the minimum wage did. For instance, the District of Columbia, yeah, just instituted a paid family leave program, and uh, my wife took advantage of that. She works for the city. And seeing how this – how a family operates, I don't understand how it would without this, with us just having half the income and me continuing to go to work from the minute my son was born. I have
2: a friend who uh, was a school teacher in Los Angeles, moved to Virginia, had her kid, and was, like, thinking about going back to work for the school system. And she realized that her family would actually save more money if she did not work – uh, and stay at home rather than – they couldn't make it work with a daycare. Right, because first of all, daycare is so hard to
0: get in the first place, daycare or any. and then you have to be making enough money that it's worth it to go back to work yeah. if you're going to pay people to
2: take care of your kids. So it's a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the idea that having a baby could put you like, upside down like that yeah. income-wise – I don't think a lot of people understand that that's like just something that happens to normal people in their normal lives. Well, and and also this isn't a policy about like benefiting elites. It's not a policy that's about, you know, feathering the nest of some, you know, industry. You know, it's literally just a policy about the logic of real life and real people living that, real life, and how to make it work. Not well. the baby
1: baby formula industrial complex probably thinks differently about this, Jason. I joked about
2: (laughs) moochers at the top, but this really isn't about moochers. It's not about giveaways. It's about making things a tiny bit easier. It's also about just biology
0: and the human race needing to propagate.
1: But, I mean, I think it also has something to do with workplace norms and workplace discrimination as well, because if you normalize the idea that, that men and women should take off you know, months basically when they have a child and get paid for it, then I think you will see uh, – you, you will lower the amount of punishment that women often face in the workforce for having a children. Women often lose their jobs preemptively when they have a kid because right. people they're, – their they're sexist employers just don't think they're going to be as dedicated to their job anymore once they have a kid. And you see, you see people occasionally actually saying this uh, you know, in, in the, out, out in public saying, well, you know, once women have – I have kids. There was a hedge fund manager who said this at a UVA event a, a while back. He's like, oh, man, and as soon as that happens, you know, women just aren't as good at, the, at their jobs. They just don't <laughs> care anymore. And and so women end up losing their jobs preemptively. They don't or, have
2: 22 hours to nearly kill themselves. Right. For my
1: Hedge fund. Yeah. Or face, you know, once they have a kid, they, they often don't get promoted. You know, if they don't get outright fired, they don't get promoted. They don't get the same types of opportunities because people are like, oh, well, now you're just a mom. But if we normalize the idea that people are not just employees, they are also moms and dads and that they need to have time to spend with their family to have a functional family. And that's normal. Then, then I think you would see you would see less of this, uh, you know, uh, bullshit sexism in, in other arenas. Well, so here's what's going to happen. The, the Democrats
0: believe they have a popular issue. And to this point, uh, you know, they, they, they had been on this more aggressively, the, the Obama administration and uh, congressional Democrats since last year. It hasn't received a ton of attention because it's been not a rider on must-pass legislation and they haven't controlled the House, and they still don't. But now it's uh, getting major megaphone treatment from Democratic leadership in the White House and in Congress. What will Republicans do? They've been quiet about it, but the legislation uh, that is the proposed solution to this guarantees workers paid leave right it's financed by a 1% tax on payrolls so there you have it it's going to be uh, uh you know job killing
2: tax hike
0: and i i bl- i predict that that is where the republicans will
2: will uh dig their trench do they have an alternative plan to deal with the logic the underlying- they,
0: they do have some stuff that tinkers at the margins for instance the republican house kept pushing this bill that would allow businesses to pay you in time instead of extra pay for overtime. So instead of, uh, working, o- uh, getting extra pay for overtime, you could just take time off and work from home. It, it, it really doesn't respond to the situation when you've got like rampant wage theft in this country. So I, I, they haven't developed their policy response too much, but I do predict they'll dig in and we'll have
1: a, uh, a, a trench warfare that we're familiar with. But in the meantime, there, there are things the federal government can and is doing, right? I mean, got,
0: there's this executive order to give federal workers six weeks, which is, uh, you know, kind of measly. It's what the White House uh, had been doing. Samstein actually had to pry this information out of them last year because they were advocating for paid family leave and to our knowledge did not offer any. So they do offer six weeks, which isn't really that much. I mean, that's you know. just enough time for a woman to physically recover from, from childbirth. I mean that's the bare minimum. So it's not all that impressive except that he you know the president's doing it by fiat I guess instead of begging Congress to do it but it's not a whole lot of time.
2: Well I mean well it could prompt conversations right? I mean there if if federal workers get this benefit you might find that to compete for better employees more companies like ours would offer more uh generous benefits of their own, right? Right.
0: Absolutely. And that's the idea. It's, it's to you know help the whole U S workforce and employers lurch in the direction.
2: And of, this uh, is, this has worked before more liberal policy. You know, I think a lot of people sort of, they take, they take it, they take it, uh, they, they see Obama issuing these kind of executive orders, things that just affect employees of the federal government, like raising minimum wage among people or offering them benefits. Um, and what i see happening is that we're in a obama's in a place where he's never maybe 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 there's a time in his first 2 years of congress where he might have had a favorable congress to do this kind of thing even then i don't think that every democrat i think there've been been a lot of people in his democratic supermajority who are too squishy uh but there's never been really a time where obama could be like congress give me a nationwide minimum wage pass give give me a, a give me a nationwide paid and family medical leave thing he right. doesn't have the thing to do that. But he has an arena in which he can operate in. What we've seen, I think, in the past is that he's made a decision, started a conversation about it, and you see pockets all around the country following suit. That, that happened with states in the
0: minimum. Yeah, ways, it has. For sure. It has.
2: It's 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 interesting. It's interesting because people kind of conceive like uh, the president as a guy who has like these kind of like magic powers of persuasion and bully pulpit can order people to do what he wants. Mm -hmm. And really it's not like that. You know, uh, the political science term is that a way of putting is that a president can like facilitate change in a favorable environment. I think there's probably, there was a favorable environment for, for minimum wage increase. And he just simply catalyzed something, got a conversation started, added creatine to the scene. And, and you see pockets around the country following suit. It's becoming more and more popular, more and more viable. And perhaps this is the kind of issue that, once again, is sort of like quietly leading within this tiny area that he has control over, might be able to spur action he also, outside he also,
1: government. He also forces Republicans to make a choice now that they're both they're in charge of both chambers of Congress. You know, when Democrats are in control, Ben Nelson or Mary Landrew could just say, oh, I don't know. Maybe right. I'm going to be a moderate and just kind of be a pain in the right. butt on this because that's yeah. what I do. Um, and and now they can't do that because Republicans are in those seats. Yeah. <laughs> Republicans are tasked with uh, with having to govern. and There are
2: fewer Ben Nelsons in the Democratic right. Caucus and, now,
1: and Republicans may well shoot this down. I think they will, but uh, but they will at least have to be. They will have to take political responsibility. Their fingerprints
2: will be on the trigger of the gun that shoots this down.
1: I got a piece, so we got to roll, guys.
2: <laughs> uh, That's a great, great way to end it. Thanks for joining us, uh, Zach and Arthur.
1: Miss you guys already. See you next week. So
2: that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by Ibrahim Balki with technical direction from Brad Shannon and assistance from Christine Canetta, Chris Gentilviso, and Adriana Usero. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week we were joined by Huffington Post senior politics reporter Arthur Delaney, Zach Carter, and Amanda Turkle. So That Happened is now available on iTunes. Please check us out in the iTunes store and find the Huffington Post's whole family of podcasts. Subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, please send an email to sothathappened at hovingtonpost.com. As always, thanks for listening, and we miss you already.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.